0: Shadow glides below, this issue feels my heartbeat, oh, but how I'll never know, we're ballin' on the surface, and a shadow glides below, this issue feels my heartbeat, oh, but how I'll never know, that it's the ocean flowing in our veins, oh, that
1: it's the salt that's in our tears. Hello listeners, and welcome to Gallagher Brew. The podcast where two friends talk about two of our favorite things, the band Fish and Beer. I am the And
2: I'm the Kid.
1: And we're coming in on the album version of The Wedge off of Rift. It's As we were listening to this, I was thinking about how I never, this is maybe the first time I've listened to an album, album version of a song since I've gotten into Fish.
2: No way, that's bullshit. I've totally made you do it in episodes. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, here and there, like peppering in, but. A a garage. You, <laughs> a pyramid. you hear a lot of different lock, things. So like there's lock, an acoustic so guitar lock. on the beginning. Of I, that. I see. I was just thinking that. I was like, I can hear the <laughs> bass so much clearer. I can hear the drums better. Like, mastering. I I'm. Yeah. I might have to go. But that song inspires me to go back and A, listen to Rift again. Because so many people claim that's like Fish's best album, which I don't support or agree with. But, yeah. um, yeah, that was just yeah, fuck crap. that. That's <laughs> I would
2: say Ghost if I had to pick one. Maybe story of the ghost. That's yeah. that's that
1: and and uh, hoist. Which story of the ghost got announced
2: favorite. that it's getting released on vinyl for like Black Friday or whatever?
1: Nice, that'd be cool. It's just so gonna I have, be crazy. I have no Fish vinyl.
2: I have no Fish vinyl. I collect either. vinyl. I have a record player. I have I no Fish vinyl. Yeah, I
1: don't do any of that shit, so... <laughs> It's supposed to be the best, truest way to listen to music. It's
2: absolutely accurate. Yeah. I had a uh, roommate in my freshman year of college who his dad sold speakers. And I'm not just talking about, like, he worked at Bose. I mean, he sold yeah, speakers yeah. that were as expensive as someone's house. Yeah, yeah, sure. And uh, he had a uh, a uh, turntable that vacuum sealed the record to the base.
1: Yeah, it's intense.
2: It was so insane that he was like, oh, throw me your iPod and let me plug it in. He was like, all right, what song do you want to hear? And he played Birdland and he played it on my iPod and he played it off the vinyl that he had and I yeah. could actually figure out where people were in the room because yeah. the sound quality was so good. Yeah. I mean. It was insane. Yeah. Well, we're not talking about sound today. <laughs> talking about. The alternate, actually. <laughs> well, uh Are they really antitheses to each other? Uh,
1: I think they're different things. I think at a concert they are. Sound and lights are the the opposite. They work together and flow together, but I think that they're kind of the opposite. I
2: think lights are the redheaded stepchild of a live show. I don't think people really pay attention to them very often.
3: But let's get into it. That's what we're talking about. You're,
1: You're driving this fish segment. We're talking about lights. Yeah. Should, can I do any intro? Should we do any prep for this?
2: I would say if we're going to intro, first tell me what you know about lights. As pertaining to
1: fish or just in general? Just in life,
2: yeah. How do you, how do you interact with lights?
1: Um, well, I don't really like think about that on the day-to-day.
2: <laughs> well, I don't think most people think about lights on the day-to-day. But, I mean, all right. So what is your experience with theatrical lighting, if any?
1: theatrical lighting yeah, uh when i was about. in high school i uh <laughs> was a theater tech and i worked on plays that my high school put on so i have some like i understand some of the loose terminology like when people are referring to you
2: ever work a light board different
1: things ah uh, i've never worked one i've seen someone work one All
2: right. so if i start if i start <laughs> saying things like stage plots and like park hands and like go-go lights uh, and like how fast do i lose, like lose you
1: kind of at the park hands and the go-go lights <laughs>
2: <laughs> gobo
1: gobo yeah gobo that's right um i don't know any what like gels? the technical you know gels are yeah I, 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 yeah <laughs> i mean and it's like stuff that i don't necessarily know or was taught i can it's like context clues i can kind of figure it out
2: okay all right, so, so how
1: quickly are we gonna bring this into fish? Uh, pretty fast. I'm, I just sorry, wanted to give okay, a background I'm, of I'm, where I'm, we're all it coming get, from. This gets me. I'm, this doesn't get me. This okay, isn't
2: gripping me. Well, I mean, we're here to discuss the the fifth member of the band.
1: Correct. So, but this is what I was saying. How much do you want me to like go into this? You hate when I talk to our audience members as if they don't know anything about fish, but I feel like if this specific topic is something we need to like
2: kind of talk about and in the uniqueness to fish i think i like to come into any conversation for this podcast as if someone were listening to it from a new perspective yeah right so assuming Me that too. like someone who's listening to this right now has no idea about lights right. at all. they're not even paying attention correct so i
1: i believe in like the funnel so like you start out with like the most information and as you continue to talk about the topic you sort of bring it in Bring it into specifics. I have
2: ADHD. I can't even do that. I'm just like, let's just talk about it and see where it goes. <laughs>
1: Well, you take the lead. I did last time and you got bad. So I'll just (laughs) chime in where I see fit. I just want to make sure that people understand out there who I talked to somebody the other day who had never seen fish and he was talking to me about possibly going to Madison square garden for new year's this year. Right. And I, I, right. The first thing I said out of my fucking mouth was if you're going to go see fish and it's your first time, I would kill to be you and you should absolutely go see the Madison square garden because Chris Carota. Has control of the entire house.
2: Which is not normal. <laughs>
1: Correct. So let's I exp- start- And I explained the situation to him and he's like, whoa, that sounds really cool. And I was like, yes, it is very cool. Yeah. So let's <laughs> lead
2: it over. Uh, just my background on lights. I actually almost went to school for it. Uh, I actually became a Mac user because my freshman oh. year of college, uh, the light board sunk up with software that was Mac specific and I had to switch over. I was using a Dell at the time. Okay. I to, so. Um, I did audio and video. I did audio lights, and I did stage construction. So I was also kind of like a stagehand. I was also a double major within the theater concentration. I was doing musical theater, and I was doing construction. Very nice. So I was all over the place. I was interacting with the lights as an actor on stage, and I was designing light plots and putting lights on a pole and you know on the on the on the fly poles. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I only did it for a year. I don't want to sit here and act like I'm an expert, but I think. One of the things that I really got drawn to as a, as a new fish fan was the lights themselves and how they just basically are an inter- they're so uniquely integrated into the show in a way that I've never seen another live uh, band have lights. You know what I'm saying? Like you can go see Justin yes. Bieber in Madison Square Gardens, or Kanye West, or Ariana Grande, or Taylor Swift. Like they all have crazy stages. They all have crazy amounts of lights, but they're not. They're just there. It's almost like they're like fireworks at a sure, sure, sure at a show. You know, so they're, they're accentual. Are we going to
1: go into why it, fish is such a unique circumstance? Yes, but I want to <laughs> bas-
2: basically start off with talking about how lights are are pretty much a standard part. Of a live experience, and really what that standard is set, to yeah, be, let's talk right? about it. I so, mean, I
1: have a very hard time recollecting any band I've seen before fish because that just kind of wipes out of my memory, so I have a hard time thinking about artists i've seen prior right. and and then on top of that i I feel like I've never noticed lights ever at any live thing ever unless right. it was a play like you're saying a th- a theatrical performance where lights kind of de like Hint at things and denote things and draw your eye to things specifically. So Concerts we're talking about now, I've never noticed anything outside of fish yeah, so before, the, before them.
2: You're setting this up actually really great because that's <laughs> how most people know lights to exist in a theatrical setting, is that they, like you're saying, and I think of like Greece where they're doing the boys sing One and then the girls stage, sing. Yeah, right. They have to light up spotlight the you,
1: spotlight them. They're supposed to be singing kind of like the same song but in two different places and the lights kind of draw them physically together in the same space. Right. Correct. Yes. So
2: it, it, it obviously defines space. And highlights, like you're saying, sure, 100%. Uh, Guys and Dolls is notorious as a theatrical production. There's always wings that are kind of written into the part. Yeah, there are times where she has to go through a door or something like that into the yeah, mission yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So the wings are always lit up, and that draws the, the. They're also very like fundamental to just the the setting the stage. So you'll go to a wing and highlight a wing while they're resetting the stage proper, right, And right, changing right. things. So the, the, they're
1: they're integral in telling a visual story in one immovable space
2: it's like being a magician though with right, lights though right because right, you're right, trying right. to have this uh misdirection and be like look over here correct. while we do this over here correct um correct. and there yes. are certain shows one of my favorites that i actually got to work on while i was a freshman at a uh, cu boulder was seussical the musical and that show, it actually extends out into the audience. We had to take out rows of seats. And the lights are supposed to draw you in so that things can move in the back. Yeah. So it's almost like the stage is almost always set. Yeah. But like you have to keep pulling people, again, misdirection, pulling them away, uh, their attention away. So you yeah. can keep doing other shit. And it's pretty nuts. Um, but then even so, when we talk about like a, a, a band... That's playing on a stage. Mm-hmm. A light is generally, or lights are generally just like frames. And at best, you have anywhere from two to five trusts. So the trusts are the, the poles that go across and hold the light, sure, right? Sure, sure, sure. And generally, those trusts are stationary. They don't move, they just stay in the sky. And these five sets of rows of lights have different types of lights that are hung on them. So that's moods, moods colors, hues. Well, the cues, the, the, the moods, colors, and hues. Hills. In most cases, and especially like low budget places, are like preset. So there's a specific... Yeah, I mean, but
1: very basically, you'll have like a bunch of blues and it'll be like right. a cool mood. You'll have a bunch of reds and oranges and yellows and it'll right. be like warm mood. Right. So again, I think you're getting to the point outside of fish, there there is almost very little reason to notice lights when you go
2: see... Uh, other other live music right and if you take it a step further again there are different types of lights right yes there are park hands park hands basically you have a threshold by which you can control the intensity of the light from zero to hundred right and you're just basically taking the
1: meaning how bright it shines from off
2: top to 100 to percent on Okay. And it fades all the way through. It's like having the fader in your in your living room where you can just like pull it down and like the lights slowly dim out. So right. it's like a dimmer switch is, is how you it's want like to
1: call oh, it. It's like opacity
2: Right. Opasticity. And then you have like LED lights which do all of that and more and they're digital and they move. So now you start right. getting like special cues. My favorite is called a ballyhoo and a ballyhoo is when the light kind of... Uh, rotates on itself and spins around yeah. so it makes this like lasso effect basically nice, on stage nice, 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 um, nice. and <laughs> you once you get to smart lights like that you can control the rate by which it spins you can right. control the intensity of the light you can control right. the color of the light right so you can imagine these light boards get very they go from being pretty basic which is sure. the park hands where you just have a bunch of faders right and you have um how they were described uh, to me, they were they're called like bump buttons. Uh-huh. So the button above the channel, which is the fader that controls the one light, yeah. The button will just go a hundred, zero. A hundred, right, zero. Right, and you right. can just turn it on, turn it off. Right. It's right? I
1: mean it's very similar to soundboard. I used a right. soundboard when I was in college and I did my radio show. It's the same thing. Yeah. You, you have, have a a, you have a you have a volume how high or fader. low as you can control. And then you right. have the button that just turns it, the channel on open and then closed.
2: Correct. Yes. Same thing. So that's again, <laughs> most basic to most complex where it's basically a computer software where you're again, training it to do Valley who's you're training it to store cues in a specific way. So, and,
1: but see, but now you're, you're, you're just talking now about lights at stationary <laughs> right. lights and them being stationary. Oh
2: Yeah. Yeah, Which I get is, where I get where you're leading to yeah, and we're yeah. not even there yet. Yeah, um, it's just there's
1: so much more Karota makes you realize there's so much more. Well, we keep saying his <laughs>
2: name. I have this uh video queued up from where he did an interview uh, for Madison Square Gardens. He basically introduces himself and talks about it. So I just want to play that real quick for everybody yeah, so they can let's just, do it. it's his telling of who he is and you know what he does. And right. I think it's really cool.
4: My name's Chris Karota, I'm a lighting designer. I've been a lighting designer for thirty years. I'm self-taught. I did not go to lighting design school or major in lighting design. I was an aspiring guitar player. So I asked the uh, best guitar player in Burlington to give me lessons, which was Trey. And one day during a lesson, he asked me if I knew someone who wanted to help carry gear from the stage of Nectars to the van. And I said, I know someone, I'll do it. And they had some lights and they had a guy running, just little park hands. And the gentleman in the middle of the set had to run to the bathroom. So he asked me to uh, jump in while he was gone. The song was Famous Mockingbird. I knew the song, so I just made the changes with the song. And the next week, he called me up and said, you're going to be doing the lights, the other guy can't make it. And I said, I don't even know how to set them up. And Trey said, don't worry, we'll figure it out together. And they were going to Colorado to do some shows, and I was going to have to miss about... Three weeks of school on my senior year. I just knew it in my heart that, that these guys had it. And I remember contacting my parents and telling them that I was going to do this. After all this money we spent on college, you're just going to stop going in the middle of your senior year? To follow a band around? Yeah, I am. The band came to me and said, hey, What do you want to do? What are you? What have you been dying to do? What I want to do is I want to have a lot of trusses and I want to move them around and make a lot of shapes and make them float in space. We wanted people to walk out of the room at the end of the night and say, I've never seen that before. Nobody's doing that. Three years ago, I got a call from Sean Bennett, who is in charge of in-game entertainment for the Knicks. All of a sudden, I was getting emails full of notes. and We want this and we want that. and Can you write us something for this? And We're doing projection and we want that. and. Ranger Cues are Ranger Cues, Nick's Cues are Nick's Cues. Being a New York guy, being a Ranger fan, being a Nick fan, I'm not shy to say it was a dream job. I have no more accomplishments that I need to accomplish. There are no Lighting designers that most people know their name. I have a wonderful 14-year-old daughter. I have a wife. That's all right, all
2: right. We, we now have a story. Yeah, you played background. way
1: too much of that. Yeah. But there's a lot of that story that I love. So Chris just, C- And Chris that's Caritta. why I to stop it Chris
2: His story, I think, is really great because it's exactly what we just talked about. When he's talking about playing at Nectars, he's got the faders with the bump buttons. When he's talking about programming Madison Square Gardens, now we're talking about light cues and smart lights and all this stuff. And that's not really... You know, he didn't just go from one to the other. It was such a process. Um I think
1: in terms of the technology that he's
2: using. Yes. One hundred percent. Yeah. I think the And he's self
1: taught. The important part of that story for me, and I think the thing that makes it so unique is that Kuroda was a fan of the band. He was a fan of fish. He knew their music. He He's knew the changes, guitar lessons from he Trey. knew the songs. <laughs> and I think ultimately that it was his moneymaker. That's what put him in the position to get him to where he ended up being. Because he says that in so many interviews, somebody else could do technically do his job, maybe even do it better, but their knowledge of the changes and the songs and the music is non-existent. So I think that's what makes him such an asset. And that's why they call him the fifth member of the band. And that's why he adds so much and is able to just mesh so well and to make these lighting schemes that seem like they're designed for the music itself.
2: Yeah. I mean, the thing for me is that he essentially taught himself how to do something and like you're saying he had such an attention to detail on how to accentuate the songs with lights right that again he was he was doing it and he just kept doing it and now he's um you know probably a millionaire and you know he's done lights for justin bieber justin bieber's kind of a on the side fish fan or was at some point and like got asked to do his so he just made a name for himself out of doing something that he picked up and sure. I think what I take away from that is that people quickly respect lights done well, but it's easy to just do them. And I think that's what you're saying is that like a guy can just it's go Not in easy and- at
1: all. I'm just saying I think what gives him the edge and ultimately what made him Successful and why it's, he's such a large influence and a member of the experience is because he knows when to change moods, he knows when to change schemes, he know on the, he knows on the downbeat, he knows when lyrics are gonna kick back in, and no other person starting out lighting the band, no matter how basic it would be, would have that understanding.
2: Yeah, but he also takes it a step further. I'm not gonna play this uh, this next interview, but what I will say is that I I made a little uh, slideshow for myself to keep track of what we're talking. About, I'm gonna make it available. It's gonna be a link in this episode description so people listening can go through it themselves. But he goes through uh, basically what it was like integrating LED lights into the beginning. It was like the tail end of 2.0, beginning of 3.0 light scheme. And essentially, his his notes are just talking about how he had to take these LED lights back to basics. And when I say back to basics, that means he basically had to get an LED light to function as if it were a parkan. Parkans have like a very slow fade to them. They don't just go from zero to 100. Like it's the full length of the fader. So when he's getting these LED lights that pop on really fast, they're a really strong beam of light, he basically had to figure out the the pitch by which they will gain their intensity. Right. And he had to he it took him time to kind of just realize, I want this really smart LED, you know, thousands of dollars lights to act like a fifty dollar pop park can. So even when he's integrating new versions of lighting schemes into all the versions that fish have experienced right he's still coming from a very visual vision this vision of what he thinks the lights should be for different songs right songs that stick out to me where the lights are truly accentual and important are like themed from the bottom when you get the little ding
1: right they are actual lighting cues for certain pieces and and moments in the music right it accents
2: pages high octave Ding. ding yes (laughs) yes <laughs> so and there are <laughs> different points in in different songs where his light cues are set to the to almost the pace of the music where he's going all sure. right this song is transitioning from part a to part b so the lights are going to transition from this red orange hue to this calming because this part's soother or more soothing green yeah. purple blue scheme, yeah yeah sure, right? sure, sure 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 so he's kind of got at this point all these smart templates that he's built around these songs and all these different places for him to go. Now we fast forward to what we're getting used to. What is it? 2017 lighting rig where he goes, like he says in, in, in the interview, I want things to move. I want a bunch of trust. I don't want just, you know, what, before when I first started seeing fish, there were the three screens above them, and really, the ones look like circles, right? And the yes. circles had circular trusses around them, yes. and the go-go and, and the and the smart LED lights are around the circular yep. trusses. Yep. So now he's going and saying, "Well, screw that! I'm gonna do basically." five rows, I think it's five by five. I would have to take a quick look at a picture, but, and now all these individual trusts, which are basically about three to four lights long, depending on the actual throw, can all move, change, and he gets all these different shapes. So generally when you would walk into a venue to talk lights, maybe it's an ov- an ovular shape, like a round shape. Maybe it's just a square theater. Like you're so limited by the actual uh, shape of the stage and what is being offered. And he just kind of threw that all out the fucking Correct. window. Which Correct. is insane.
1: Correct. I, I think the current lighting rig is the best. Uh, and I think because of the movement, he's able to, like, I think what you're trying to say is, is manipulate space in a different way. There are moments in the show when everything is really open and bright and wide and airy. And then there are moments and they happen in a blink of an eye where all the lights come down so close and almost put your visual in just a straight line, a quick line. And it, it makes the space seem so tight and so intimate and so small compared to the Giant, and then again in Madison Square Garden, you take that a step further, where you have the house lights be turning different colors, going in different directions, the spinning. He can make shapes on the floor, the GA floor. So yeah, they call it the mothership, the right, spaceship. Right, right. So yeah. it's like not only now is he using the lights themselves to manipulate space. He's, he's making moving them. He's moving them, and and. Yep changing the dynamics of the room of the actual giant space well he's making it
2: feel that way so that's right. like you're saying the room is staying the, the room is staying well, but if, if so like you're saying it doesn't when he, seem
1: that way anymore now because you can control that
2: but now when he when you're talking about when he pulls the lights down and makes that straight line he can then tilt that straight line and yep. pull it up he, on he one side tilt, and he does that a yeah. lot he pulls it yep. from side to side yep. He, yep, can, yep, yep, yep. he can make that, yep. that oval shape that you would get if you were playing like in Central Park there's that one stage the arch the, yeah yeah like the arch shape Right So you you now are not limited by anything And in fact it only opens up these opportunities You know if he's in the middle of waves He can actually make the lights move So that it looks like a wave Like this shit's getting fucking nuts and complicated And I, I don't think I don't know that anybody else is doing that like creating shapes on stage and that's a massive call out because the only reason he's able to do it is because he decided to put m- motorized trusts in the air that's in, like it's just nuts to me yeah <laughs> um so the other thing that i will say that the shapes allow him to do and that are really important i at one point it's like 2011 i end up going to gov ball that year and it was because like kanye west was there and like guns and roses i was like oh my god there's all these different music i can see all at the same time and i saw this band play the xx which i don't really care for don't really know their music but what i thought was interesting about their show is that they had lasers and the lasers what they basically allowed you to do is that it shoots out these obviously solid beams of light but at one point the lasers are going up and down and it makes almost like a screen and then they were projecting shapes with different lights onto those screens so it looked like clouds were floating in the middle of the stage and i remember i leave that show and i'm just going like why are fish not using lasers and what I realized really quickly in the next fish show is that because these LED lights are so strong and bright and powerful and basically even have these little misters attached to the front of them so they they help to accentuate the beams of light, he's able to get such crazy angles on the lights as well. Where he's able to sit there and have, you know, basically lights shooting up and shooting down at the same time, it almost looks like a W. Or, you know, they when they spin around and they move, they actually do look like lasers. Like if you took a laser pointer and just spun it really quickly and the lights are doing that gobo thing that I love where yeah. they spin, yeah. and it almost looks like he's making circles on the sure, stage. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure, and sure. that is now only accentuated by the fact that these lights move as, as dramatically as they do. And I think, again, that helps to kind of add. I mean, that's when you watch... The Madison Square Gardens uh, video interview that they did with him, they show this pan of the ranger queue where it just spins around the mothership, as it's called, where the jumbotron is. And it's all in rangers colors and it, like, it just looks like one solid loop of red and blue and white. Yeah. Um, and again, it's just something that when you think about lights of, of, at a concert, they're pretty much always facing at you or going up and down. Like, sure, a, sure, sure. like into the crowd or back down to directly facing yeah. the stage. Yes. And he's <laughs> just like, fuck that shit. I'm just going all over the place. So you can't tell me where these lights can't go, which I find yeah. fascinating. Um, and when you put it all together, the lights move up and down, they move around left and right. And now you have all these angles. It makes that experience. One of the most amazing seats I've ever had at a fish show is actually behind the stage of Madison square gardens because then you actually start seeing how the lights hit the crowd yeah. and what that looks like. And that's such a unique perspective because most other bands would not sell those tickets. Yeah. All the tickets behind the, the stage are just empty. So that's
1: the party section.
2: Yeah, It's the tray vision. For fi- they call yeah. It. For fish. That's the party. <laughs> you see section. what Tracy's, but it's interesting because again, in most concerts you're just flashing people in the face with lights or, and like, <laughs> I think of this one MSG run, uh, where they lifted people up in the air. It was the steam one, I think. And there were these beams of light around the mothership and they were just shooting down on people. And there were all these memes that came out of it because this guy made it look like he was getting abducted and whatever. And I felt really bad for those people. They still do
1: that in Madison Square Garden. Yeah. If you're in a certain set, seat or section or space and you're getting the full thrust the of the of light, light. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're like, fuck, this sucks.
2: Right, but what's interesting <laughs> is that if you... I would I would argue that if you were at any other show, that light's not going anywhere. It's stuck on you forever. At least with Corotta, you know, oh, yeah. this is temporary until he switches to the next cue. Like it might happen a couple times during the show, but what was
1: your first introduction to Chris Caroda?
2: It was 2010, Connecticut. So that was an outside, not venue. your show. What uh, was
1: what was the first ex- like conversation you had about this guy and the way that he designs lights for this? Band? I
2: came back from that show mesmerized because again, you got to remember 2010. I've only been out of like theater for about a year and. One of my was this an outside venue? This yeah. is an outside venue. Yeah, it's venue. like PNC Bank Art Center okay. for those who know Tri-State Area. Yeah, yeah, continue. Um, or Jones Beach. So it was very much... I remember spinning around in the crowd and just looking at everyone and the lights were panning front to back and because of the way he was accenting it, he was making a wave on the head-bopping that people already do. So it was like a wave and a wave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it just, I, I turn around and I'm just like, holy shit! Like not only is this like the most... Culminating experience of what it's like to be a fish fan because you're part of this like moving it almost feels like you're part of this huge moving Machine that's all in motion and rhythm. Yeah. But this is also accentuating that yeah, and who does that who takes the those lights to such a level That they're thinking that way It's it's insane. It's it's no no one. He's totally right People know him by name because no one else is doing what he's doing Sure, everything else is a standard. <laughs> I actually was sure. on the subway yesterday and these two guys, I was passing through theater district. We had just stopped at 66th Street. And this these two gentlemen get on, and they're obviously both uh, lighting guys from a nearby theater. And they're talking about presets for a show. And he's like, well, you know, I kind of already have a preset for this. So I'm just going to kind of import that in there and just change a couple things, like whatever. And that's the thing with lights is that you are such like a hired gun that you're just like, oh, I have this template already. I think of like programmers, too, because I used to do AV programming. Yep. Uh, And it's just like, oh, well, I kind of already have this scheme. I can kind of just change the colors and throw the buttons around. Now it's my new scheme for my new company or whatever. And that's what this guy was talking about. Well, I kind of have this show where there's a half and half of the stage and this lights up and this lights up. So I'm just going to port it into the light board and just, you know, I only have to do like 15 minutes of editing. Whereas I don't think, I don't know if it's also because Kuroda's been with them for so long and he just has such a good idea. I don't feel like any given show that I've seen fish, the light shows exactly the same. It's just like the, the ideology of like, you know, we're never going to do the same thing twice.
1: I, I think, yeah, I think Kuroda very much uh, approaches the way he does lights every single time he does them the same way the band does every single time they play a song. I think their goal is always to try to change something and make something unique and do something for the first time. Every time they, they do something they've already done. I agree. I think Kurata yeah. approaches it the same way. I don't remember. I think it was probably you and J3PO. I don't remember. Like, I remember having conversations about Corotta. I don't remember, like, who told me to watch the lights or what sparked it. I don't think I really, really got into it and realized how kind of amazing and gigantic the scope of it was and the uniqueness of it was until I saw them play Madison Square Garden. Most of my early shows were outside outside arenas and yeah. even then like when they get dark for the second set that really doesn't compare to kind of being in a closed tight arena especially Madison Square Garden. I remember having this conversation really early on with a, a fellow fish fan of mine and that just be me being like I'm really scared to see them in an inside venue because I've seen them outside so many times and that's all I've experienced until now and it seems like such a like big outside spacious party thing. I I wonder what it's going to be like inside. And I remember him telling me, honestly, there are moments, and this is about Madison Square Garden. Honestly, there are moments where you could close your eyes and feel everything rumbling. And it feels like you're, you're in it. Yeah. I'm standing underneath a spaceship or a rocket ship. And, and it literally feels like it's going to blast off and take off. Yeah. And that's, very true I mean it's a really good way To describe it Because I think for sure That's <laughs> how you feel When you're there
2: Well believe it or not I've only like delved into About 10% of what I wanted To talk about And we're already running Out of time So the last things I want to talk about yeah. There's three of them Okay First one is Fan lights I think because Fan lights, fan lights. Uh, What does that mean right Yeah yeah please, uh, Fan please, lights yeah. are essentially I think the lights Have become such An integral part Of the show that fans picked up on this, and it's controversial within the fish scene because there's so many environmentalists that are fish fans. Fan lights to me are glow stick wars. But We've so gotten to a point. When you say where fan lights,
1: you mean light emitted by the fans in the correct, audience, correct? Oh, okay. So you start, interesting. Yeah, interesting.
2: So it's like you, when you think about it, it's like you know a good, good, good Harry Hood
3: yeah nice, so that is a awesome. whole other. so
1: again that is a whole other component the very first time i saw fish was at speck and that place is known very known for having ridiculous what low-stick they call close stick wars, wars. Yep. yeah again because it's people know during certain songs and during certain parts of songs that everyone yep just knows not intuitively because it's just it's a pattern it's happened for so long people throw up glow sticks and it's pretty fucking incredible it looks like fireworks it's, it's great it's very incredible it's a very cool site man yeah so i actually
2: <laughs> um on the slideshow that i will be sharing on the episode description there is a video uh from a madison square gardens nice. harry hood and Oof. it's insane because it's inside so like again lights don't disappear and i think because it's so self-contained people are actually just picking up the glow sticks and throwing them again so this glow stick war lasts for freaking ever and you it's got great. to give
1: credit to msg because you're technically not allowed to bring them in so all those people no sneak, give credit to the fucking sneak, people. All those people yeah I,
2: I almost got kicked out of msg yes. for trying to sneak in you're a tube not of you're technically sticks.
1: yes you're technically not allowed to bring them
2: so the all of those assholes, people had to go. go out
1: of their way though to do that and that's what i'm saying it's cooler when it's that much more extraordinary and people have gone through that much of an effort to make that happen
2: yeah all right. So, second point within the lights, I'm asking you your personal opinion. What was your best light moment of your fish career?
1: Um, uh, the, the big boat when they fucking did the fucking That's New Year's mine. Eve. What is it? What was this? Uh, Soul Planet. Soul Planet.
2: Yes. So. Because that I, is the epitome
1: well. of, of kind of what you were saying using the audience as well as another additional icing on the cake So component. you just made
2: the audience the seventh man. 100%. 100%. And it was an interesting moment. Yes, <laughs> We show up to Madison Square Gardens and there's these things on our seat and we pull them off our seats and we quickly realize that they're wristbands. So everybody immediately I puts knew it was going to
1: happen. I wish I didn't like read shit on the internet and Twitter and yeah, all that Yeah, I shit don't. That's I why I don't. There. You and I, fucking I, I, knew, J-3po. I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew. There, there there I There's chatter. There's Twitter chatter. I
2: hate, I hate when you both get close to a, a run at all because you guys just start repeating the same thing you both are saying over and over again to me who's the objective observer and you're just... I'm going, well, they just read this Jam based article because both of them just separately told me yeah, about the see, same yeah, exact see, the, thing. Yeah, see, but the
1: excitement, especially surrounding a New Year's gag, is gets Yeah, crazy. but that's like watching the
2: trailers to a movie. Why go see the fucking movie if you're going to watch what happened before because it happens?
1: Because you'll never, because no, you'll never get to do that. It's not Bullshit. about experiencing it before. It's about getting little clues, little breadcrumbs.
2: Yeah, who gives a shit? Be surprised. I go into them blind specifically to be surprised. I don't want. Well, you're to better know. than everyone. Is I, that what you want to hear? No, you're I've started doing it with movies. You're being though. a
1: self-righteous <laughs> piece of shit right now, and that's cool. No way. I'm
2: Don Quixoteing you, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but who cares? Uh, you're so, pissing me off. Continue I think the best fish topic. moment of Soul Planet is, is is undisputable because you, like you're saying, not only integrated the crowd into it, but it was it was just an amazing experience. We became the ocean. We became. You know, these patterns and what was also really funny is you could tell who wasn't sitting in the right section because their lights would light up the wrong colors based on where they were. Um, It's
1: like one of those things if you go back and you look at photos, they look beautiful and amazing, but it's like trying to take a photograph of like a sunset or like a giant sweeping like... Outside thing, you'll never, yeah, you'll you'll never be able to show someone else who wasn't there what it was really like. Yeah, they oscillate. It, it It was very breathtaking. It was
2: amazing. They oscillate the wrist lights so that it looks like we as the ocean is is moving. So like you know we're bumping and jiving in this stagnant stage which is now supposed to be a boat is just trucking along. It was it was off and remember they fired the cannons and the cannons yeah, go off and the of the it then it's
1: little kind of shitty.
2: The, the gags, you mean? Yes.
1: Yeah, and and I do of know if they could ever do anything that'll top that because ones leading up to that also weren't that good. I think that was of a of kind of them doing what of do best. Yeah, of a a way they finally a how to do a like. Beautiful, amazing, uh, almost participatory thing, and it ended up being really fucking cool. So Petrichor was fine. I mean, everything they've done since and before is fine, but it wasn't on a scale to the to the level that that New Year's was. Yeah, and it had to do with lights and lighting. <laughs> so
2: the third and final point that I have before we go to take our short fifteen minute break is that I have a video uh, of a time lapse on this slideshow and it really does the new rig justice because it basically shows you an entire fish show in about 12 I think it's 12 minutes
1: yeah that was one of the coolest things i've seen um in a long time. yeah so it's 46
2: <laughs> days is the music behind the time lapse the show is november 3rd 2018 in las vegas um and it's the entire show in 6 minutes so, you get to see the rig full tilt. It's like, if it could move this fast, you'd be like, what the fuck? We're going to die. Um, and it really uh, ties together all the elements that we've been talking about. The yeah. angles, the shapes, the the ins. There's a lot of ins and a lot of outs. So <laughs>
1: A lot of ins a lot of outs. <laughs> a lot of strands in the old duder's head. I, yeah, yeah. You have that link in there as well to yes. the time lapse. I think that, that definitely is something that will... I mean, I've been to you know what almost 100 fish shows at this point, but that is something that really like nails it home for you when you can condense the entire show down into a couple minutes and see. It really will take your breath away to see how fucking intense the lights are for for a show.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's again something that is very often overlooked. I feel like so many even I say this to the person listening to this who's a new fish fan like open your eyes and pay attention cuz it's so insane like even the people who go to fish shows on the reg so many people will sit there and be like oh man did you hear that? Did you hear that, Wilson? That Wilson was okay. Okay. And I turn around and I go, well, how about those fucking lights?
3: And everybody's like, eh, I don't think you'll find anyone eh. ever who will dispute
1: or t- try to argue with you and say that the lights at official show aren't cool. And I would actually argue with what you're saying. I don't think you have to be so paying attention to every little thing. I think that's the beauty of... Corita's lighting scheme is that it changes so frequently and so dramatically and drastically that you could be have your eyes closed or be dancing or not looking at the stage and turn away for a minute and then look back at the stage and be like I was just looking at the stage and something completely and totally different than what I just was looking at yeah and that's the other, I mean, like, that's the other thing. Like, the, the changes are, the frequency of the changes are per- Often, constant. It's constant it's, it's, it's
2: more than 10 times a song, yeah. I would say. So I would argue, it,
1: yeah, so, exactly. It keeps you on your toes as much, I think, as the music
2: does. But again, you get that dude who's just tripping balls or on whatever drug and just zones out and zones back in and goes, whoa, dude. It's like, it's a crazy 100%.
3: Bro.
1: And I love fish. I love them very much and deeply, but the lights I find uh, to be the best are moments when the music is not starting to lose me, but I'm starting to get bored with something that's happening. And then I'll be like, well, what can I do now? And I'll focus on some ma- uh, lighting aspect. And there, there's always something in every show that happens that I had never noticed before. I don't know if it's something new or just something I never noticed, but there's always something kind of new and fresh was, to, to focus on. What was on. the
2: last thing, and this is how we'll end the segment, what was the 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 last newest thing you've witnessed?
1: The last newest <laughs> thing I witnessed? What is the most
2: recent new thing you witnessed with the lights?
1: I don't know. I, I, I can't just like pull that out of my head. I, I, I don't will, know. For me, he's
2: starting to do this type of oscillation uh-huh. that gives the lights texture. Okay. So they'll just really quickly. And when I say quickly, I mean super fast. Just pan left and right. Okay. So it almost looks like the stage. This the, Any stage that you're in at a fish show bounces. Like you feel the people sure. jumping up and down. Mm-hmm. It feels like the stage is doing that. But with my eyeballs, it's just going like, huh. Interesting. and it's okay. very subtle. Yeah, I, yeah. I would, I would call, I call it out to say, look for it because it's so cool. Okay. I've never, ever, ever seen someone do this with lights where you're now almost making, it's almost like a sixth sense because you're making me feel like I'm in motion just because yeah. the lights are moving in this really weird way. Yeah. And it's so interesting, and every time it happens, I just immediately go, "Yeah, Jordan. do that again, yeah!" Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs>
2: can I? So, can I ask you? Uh, Karota
1: stands. At the lighting board, which Uh, is where is that physically located in reference to the soundboard and in reference to where the stage is? It is. is Does it always change?
2: Same place as the soundboard. So he's next to the sound person. Uh, It's either in front of or behind, depending on the venue, but it's always in the same spot. Okay, I just he needs a full view of all the lights. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. And obviously, that's also where the best sound is because all the speaker arrays are all like facing that one point. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. so it's the best place to not only adjust for feedback, but it's also <laughs> the best place for him to have a, a scouting point to see all nice. The only time I would argue that that's weird. And at that point he doesn't really care are like open field festivals. Right. right because right. those second layer of arrays, those second layer of arrays are basically to deal with the delay right. of the sound. Sure. So you have to basically push two sets of sound because eventually you get far enough away from the stage. Yeah. so there's lighting trees attached to those arrays he can't see that shit yeah 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 so that's just set to cues and he's just hitting buttons on that but outside of that he he always is in direct eye line of everything Cool on if i were him i'd set up in like section 200 of msg that's just (laughs) me just saying but that wouldn't make sense and they couldn't sell those tickets and i want those tickets anyway so don't do that all right, so what are we going out on? Why'd you pick the song? It, what, give me it, we're
1: not going out on it. Or, we're know, taking a fifteen-minute break. Yeah, yeah whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Crowd control, play it. I'm gonna talk about all the songs at the end. Oh, Okay, great. <laughs> this is crowd control from six twenty six two thousand nineteen.
2: Thank you, and we'll see you after this short fifteen-minute break.
0: You have the reins, do something old
1: Welcome back. It's got your brew. That was crowd control. My new favorite fish song at the oh, moment. Oh, no. <laughs> All
2: right. Beer. <laughs>
1: but yes, we're moving on to beer. So we're actually kind of backlogged with beer and we've got a lot to <laughs> work through it's here. Been
2: a, we haven't done an episode in a in while.
1: A, in a couple, we took about a month <laughs> off, which is fine. All good things need, you know, need to get fresh eyes. We're I come back in a different point. I don't know if you I want was to say that way. I blame myself way.
2: for starting a new job. New job.
1: We've uh, we've been traveling though consistently, and we've kind of a, accrued a lot of beers. So I had to kind of come up with a, a rough focus for kind of what I wanted to talk about today. And this is actually really interesting because uh, I think there is a fair amount to talk about on this topic. So I wanted to talk about um, lactose and using milk sugar and lactose this in brewing. Is great.
2: Cause I remember when I first in, uh, when I first moved in to my new apartment yes, and I was going to start home brewing, yes. bought a fridge. Yes. Um, I was, m- I think I made my first like four or five beers all with lactose. <laughs> and you you're, were like, you're on a lactose <laughs>
1: high. Yeah. yeah you're, you're on, on like, the lactose train.
2: You pulled me aside and gave me my lactose intervention. And you were like, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you using this in all your beers? Yeah. Um, so so i've been eagerly awaiting this conversation so tell me where we start and i'll gladly tell you where
1: in. we start um so i guess it, basically it's important to throw out there and understand that uh lactose is a milk sugar of, and
2: it's a milk sugar yeah but of which two sugars it's so great i don't know it's galactose Ugh, <laughs> gross it sounds awesome, and glucose
1: though. right and that this specific type of sugar is unfermentable by with brewer's yeast, right? So, brewer's yeast cannot ferment lactose, Correct. this type of sugar. Yep. So, that being said, why then do people add it to their beers? What, what is the object it's, and the reason why brewers add lactose to beers?
2: Uh, for viscosity, for the yes. mouthfeel. It definitely makes your beer sweeter because it's not fermenting. Correct. (laughs) And uh, sweetness, body, and richness.
3: Richness. The the three things that
1: are imparted in your beer if you add lactose. So now we know why people add lactose to beers. History of lactose. Lactose. Is the only thing they ever used to lactose to were stouts. Sweet, sweet stouts. Stouts. Yes. stouts. 20th century. That's uh, the only style in the world that had, in England, mid-century England, use lactose.
2: And why do you think that is?
1: Um, It is because... Uh They started adding them actually to porters, yeah, and porters was the original style, and then they started yeah. making stronger porters, which eventually were called stouts. They started adding them to porters because porters were always traditionally and historically low ABV, huh. so adding lactose to those low ABV dark beers tricks tricked you, tricked the consumer, tricked the drinker into thinking they were much more rich and, you know, substantial than the the product actually was. I'm
2: <laughs> selling you more AVV without
1: correct, the correct, ABV. Correct. And It all came down to cost. Malt used to be really expensive. That's kind of the direct reason why black patent malt became a thing. Like, mm. you know, just re- straight kiln malt, not malted barley. Um, but that's kind of the history of it. And that's the only way lactose was ever used. Right. Fast forward to now mm-hmm. in America, when American brewers kind of just... America. Want chose the way we define our style is by doing things that nobody else has and by using ingredients really weirdly and whatever sure sure sure, sure. so now and this is why i wanted to talk about this topic was you're seeing lactose uh, in all of these uh new england style ipas and they're calling them now milk milkshake ipas yep. is I, I guess the style of what of what oh, they're calling yeah. um it's really fascinating because tired hands was actually the first Brewery, and we've talked about them. We've visited them many times yep. so, to come out with a beer like this. And I actually remember the the day that somebody told me that. and I was like, Ew, that sounds really disgusting, but also really cool. And I'd be interested in trying that and seeing what that tastes <laughs> Ew, like. Give me one. <laughs> and the even cooler thing was the last time we visited Tyrantans, I'm pretty sure you had that original beer that yes. they first brewed that strawberry yep. vanilla mil- yep. milkshake IPA. Yep, yep, yep. So. Um, we have a couple beers here. I have a couple beers here throughout our travels that all use, that both use lactose. Um, and I just would, I'm really curious to hear your opinion because you're a brewer about, uh, you were saying earlier why you originally added it. Were you obsessed by adding it with so many of your beers? Yeah. Where you think it's appropriate to add it? When in the brewing process, do you add it? Like, yeah. I, I'm, I'm just curious to get a brewer's perspective on lactose and using lactose okay because i think it's a really cool ingredient but i think it's a really cool ingredient when you're using it with a very specific purpose and i guess that kind of leads us into the beers that we're going to try you can kind of chit chit chat about what i asked you um the first beer we're going to be drinking as we talk is a beer um from hidden springs brewery they're based out of tampa florida uh, I got this when I went down to visit a good friend of mine in Tampa about a month ago. Um, this beer is called Blurred Limes. <laughs> Play on blur- blurred, li- blurred blurred lines. lines, which I think is really cool. I know
2: you want it. <laughs>
1: um, and it is a key lime pie Berliner, so it's a Berliner vice, brewed with key limes, graham cracker, vanilla, and lactose.
2: Yeah, I do love me some key lime pie. It's m- one of my favorite pies.
1: Right. So <laughs> I think the clear objective here for this brewery with this beer was they were trying to replicate the dessert key lime pie. Right. And let's briefly talk about the dessert for those that don't know about it. What is a key lime pie? It is arguably one of the most basic desserts you can make, but fucking incredible.
2: It's basically <laughs> condensed milk mixed with lime juice. key lime Eggs
1: juice. and eggs to hold the shape. And all that's just poured into so a, 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 a graham a cracker. Simple, crust.
2: simple custard with lime right. juice.
1: And the graham cracker crust is a little spicy, a little crunchy, a little sugary, Cinnamony. a little salty. And yeah, then salty. and then paired with the beautifully velvety, smooth, custard, highly acidic because you get that
2: key lime juice. And key lime is more acidic than regular lime. I would argue not. but, but Really? I would fine. say that's why I don't like That's why I, I think I like key, key limes are
1: sweeter lime. than regular limes. Oh,
2: gross. I disagree. I don't know why. All right. <laughs> but this this beer definitely So so ha- like right,
1: large. so having described the dessert and kind of the textures and the flavors of that dessert. Uh and then analyzing the ingredients in this beer. Uh I would say that th- I was extremely excited to drink this beer. Uh, After I drank it, I was extremely intrigued and delighted with the way it tasted because I think lactose in this application is uh, just an incredible use of the ingredient. They're trying to replicate that creamy, smoothie, velvety, rich texture in your mouth that you get when you eat a key lime pie. And I think that using lactose is such a fucking genius idea for this beer. So that's, that's what I'll say about that. And that's my kind of two cents overall on lactose generally is I think when it's used right and it's used purposefully, it's a masterful thing. And when it's not, it's kind of just not.
2: Okay. Well, I can tell you from a brewing perspective, there's a universal understanding with lactose and to to kind of drive to that, I would say, what is, what is your favorite part about eating a key lime pie?
1: The, the velvety texture mixed with the direct crunch of the graham cracker. Okay. So the textural difference. If you
2: had to describe that velvety texture, because a key lime pie is a cold mm-hmm. pie. It's not yes. a warm pie, right? So Correct. So what happens in your mouth when you take a bite of key lime pie? It
1: melts in your mouth.
2: Right. And that is the, I would say that's the universal standard of lactose for beer. Is that it leaves this like velvety melt in your mouth, kind of it coats, coats your, your palate. It coats your palate. Absolutely. Right. 100%. It's like putting a blanket over your taste buds. Because that's mm. all the
1: the sugar that's not getting eaten and dissolved in your beer. Right. Right. So here's my thing. I just said that I think lactose is brilliant and great and amazing used in purposeful brews. What were the styles of beer you were adding lactose to initially when you were on your brew, your lactose my brew. My lactose binge. Yeah, your lactose
2: brew spree. <laughs> Where it was not you never brewed a stout, that's correct, right? I've never brewed a So you've never you never
1: tried you never jumped off from the traditional you've never done a sweet stout. You've no. never done the traditional avenue no. and kind of use it in the practical, historical, traditional. I don't
2: sense. know that I could the only way I would ever do it is if I like cloned something I already knew I loved. Let's I talk can't.
1: about this beer that you were obsessed with making for a while. Uh <laughs>
2: No, butter beer
1: on. cream cream ale butter beer or i what was, fuck it was i was trying you to put re- lactose in that as well is that yeah correct? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah yeah i was
2: trying to recreate <laughs> the coffee beer from cream Harry Potter. Cal-
1: but you were doing a coffee cream ale for a while as well that too both of them did you put lactose, lactose? <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> is there beer you have brewed that you did not put lactose in
2: uh
3: uh uh maybe a few <laughs> Here's a better question,
1: and I actually I am actually asking this question because I'm unsure. Okay. At what part of the brewing process do you add
2: the lactose? Generally, anywhere from ten minutes to flame out, like fifteen to ten minutes. Fifteen minutes to flame out. And why why
1: do you add it at that
2: time? If you're the purist who's doing it at fifteen minutes, you want to sanitize it, just because you don't know where it's been. So you want to give it at least some time of agitation at boil to make sure that. So you're
1: adding it during the final stage of boil to sanitize it. That doesn't seem to make a
2: lot of sense to me. I mean, it's sugar in a bag. It probably is okay. Again, I'm saying if you're the I would say
1: just to dissolve it into liquid. It's gonna give it a a chance to dissolve. First of all, if you're ever
2: putting it in, at most you're putting in eight ounces, so it's going to dissolve into five gallons of liquid no matter what.
1: But those are very specific ratios. Those are homebrew ratios, so just well, I mean, yeah, that's for a
2: five-gallon batch. But what I'm saying is, is that like I. Don't think it's just for pure agitation because it's such a little amount of lactose to such a large quantity of liquid. It's like saying, oh, I'm going to put a couple sprinkles of salt into like eight ounces of water. I'm scared it might not actually dissolve. So I'm going to boil the water to make sure the salt gets in there. And it's like, that's not a thing. The volume ratios are but so. Here's
1: my thing. If, if lactose isn't a fermentable sugar, why would you add it at all before you even before cake? Like, why would you not just add it right before kegging?
2: I've done both i've oh, done it like done at, i've okay. done it at like during boil the first time i ever did it i was scared again the the mm-hmm. biggest homebrew scare ever is contamination so when you read up on ingredients it's like oh you probably shouldn't use your grains after they've been milled after and that's a week. what and that's what instructed you to add
1: it to the final stages of the boil yeah so about pure 15 minutes sanitary yeah
2: make sure you don't contaminate i just look at
1: it from the perspective of like uh, when you're using dark grains, when you're using grains that are like totally, totally, totally dark, like yeah, incredibly the, dark, the end you of don't the SRM, need, yeah. you don't need to put those in. You don't need to mill those, and you don't need to um, mash with those because there's n- almost nothing s- sugar wise you can extract from those. So there's a really, Zana chef, really interesting was basically saying you can just steep your dark malts, get dark water, yep. <laughs> dark malt water,
2: tea water, and yeah. just
1: add that to the final stage of your beer to get it. The color that you're looking for. Cause yeah, basically that's, that all, that's all dark malts add is color. Yeah. Brewers so that, do that a lot. Uh, but yeah, that's what I'm saying. Brewers, that's where yeah. my mind is coming from with the lactose because of lactose g- is giving you nothing but mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. You, and you don't there's nothing you're looking to extract out of it chemically extract out of it in the brewing process there really is no need to add it before the very final stage well, of your beer. so
2: here's the problem if you're trying to put it in earlier in the boil with any type of powder when you're mixing it with liquid the fear is that if you leave it agitating long enough it'll clump 100 yeah and it, it just doesn't you know then you just have these globs of you know these.
1: That's why to put it in like cooking terms, though, when you're adding like cornstarch or flour or something like that to a pot of like stew or liquid, you
2: make a slurry. Yes. You, taught you, that, make a slurry. you taught me that actually. You taught me yes. that. I didn't know that until like a, uh, because that's when I was actually experimenting experimenting with uh just the, 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 the. that's when I was experimenting with gypsum salt. Yes. And you were like, oh, you got to make a slurry, and I was like, what? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah because i was worried i was like oh this looks really clumpy so that's what i'm saying the powder itself although all the lactose i've ever ordered is really fine it's almost like if i had to describe it as a consistency it's like putting uh powdered sugar through a sifter yeah okay it's like really really soft and fine okay so again it's more of a paranoia and being like i'm gonna fuck this up and that's the thing that i'm like now that i'm getting back into brewing after taking like a year and a half off they're Places where you start second-guessing yourself again, where you're like, I'm not going to do a month worth of investing just to get some bullshit. So you tend to favor the more safe side of things. Sure. But I mean, if I were going to tie it back to this beer specifically,
1: I really, really uh, having talked about circles around this beer, I really, really like this beer. I do. I
2: do. And the only thing I would argue is that there's not enough lactose in this beer.
3: Ah,
1: see, I, I take the yeah, counterpoint. Let's do it. Yeah, because if you added more lactose, I don't think you'd be able to taste the other ingredients as much.
2: The lemon on this beer is lime. a little sh- or lime is a little sharp for me. And I think
1: so you want more of a sweetness to balance that. Correct. Out. See, I would think that would, I think that would disappear. I think you're getting the double sharpness. I think you're getting the tartness from the Berliner base. And I think you're getting the tartness from the lime juice.
2: Right. So how do you cut it?
1: lactose
2: so add more lactose. but they also had
1: vanilla and they also had graham cracker and i taste those two things i and do I, it's fe- just for fear of blanking those ingredients out i like the level of lactose it, this this, this beer
2: reminds it's me it's also
1: of- not sickeningly creamy and sickeningly cloying and sickeningly coating my mouth yeah. which is w- my number one gripe with lactose
2: okay so you think lactose beers that you've had are La- too heavy when I handed. see a
1: label that says lactose on it, I'm immediately turned off by it. But why? Because the, I, I hate milk. I hate dairy. The idea of something coating my mouth like that and coating my palate and my tongue like that turns me off entirely. Especially when I'm looking for a beer uh, that's supposed to be thirst quenching and uh, yeah, but m- enjoyable for me to drink.
2: Melissa, that's like the opposite for me. Like, I love dairy. I love... And, but, and,
1: but I think that's why you overuse lactose. Right. I'm not disagreeing <laughs> on that And you like point. things that are sweet. No, but So it like makes sense to me this, why you overuse it.
2: This beer as a sour is, again, that lime really punches through. And if I drink enough of this, if I drank a full can to my face, yeah. I would have heartburn afterwards. Yeah. So the only way to really cut that is with lactose
1: yeah i i get so. where you're coming from i like entirely get where you're coming from and i think that is why american brewers are using the lactose in these quote-unquote milkshake ipas and adding fruit and it and balances t- out the, that acidity the yeah. C- correct it's all about balance why you add hops to malts is to keep everything balanced i also think the sweetness curbs the hot bombs that are in these, the bitter fucking hot bombs that they're making out there with these IPAs. And
2: you're leading me into, so the beer that I just made after coming off hiatus, a year and a half hiatus, I made a oatmeal IPA. And there was a moment when I was smelling the beer at boil where I was going, oh man, this smells. You get to the point with brewing as a home brewer where you you start understanding things in phases where you go, oh, I actually think I can predict how this is going to shape up. So, I mean, the same is
1: true for cooking. You right. like kind of conceptualize the way you think it's gonna end, right, out, end up. Right, but then that starts <laughs> to impact
2: your senses. Where yeah. you you yeah, could yeah. sit there with a apple pie, right, and you could say, "I didn't put enough butter in this because this is starting to smell like it's going like it's burning quick. Like there's something that's keeping it from getting to the point it needs to get to. Like I don't Butter's smell fat. the butter in it. There's like, not the enough fat. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like, but you get what I'm saying conceptually, right? You're saying like there's something missing. And this yeah, doesn't yeah, quite yeah, yeah. feel right based on my tactile senses. You, that's it's, like it's,
1: consistently what's happened during cooking. That's why you taste, yeah. taste, 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 yeah. taste. Taste, this is too salty. You need something sweet. Oh, this is too sweet. You need something acidic. So it's something ba- that I've balance. started
2: to do during the brewing process, which I used to not, is that I I pull some boil and I let it cool down and I just sip it.
1: Yeah, that's and great.
2: I sipped this boil and I went, holy <laughs> shit, I'm only at 30 minutes and this thing is pretty dry. OK, so I wrestled with myself and I was like, oh, man, I have, you know, a pack of lactose in, in my brew closet. Uh-huh. I should just toss it in there. But now, again, that homebrewer paranoia sinks in. If I'm wrong about this, I'm now going to have a beer that I don't like and I have five gallons of it. What the fuck am I going to do with it? So I sat on my hands and I didn't add the lactose. And this oatmeal IPA is great. It's too dry. It's not sweet enough. And the lactose would have fixed that.
1: You did not add lactose. I did not. But I thought that's because you just forgot to get it.
2: No, no, no. It's totally in my brew closet. Oh, really? And I sat on my hands because I was worried. So you should have added lactose. I should have added it. I agree. Yeah. (laughs) But you added oats. Oats, definitely mess with the viscosity and gives it a thickness, but it's not the same. It doesn't have the sweetness. Is that correct? Not just the sweetness, but it's not that coating. Again, it's a thicker, like viscosity is such a hard thing to describe because there's so many different tactile yeah, not things. really it, it, it is though there's like a so i guess i guess what i'm thickness. trying to say is the basic no, way you can put it is thickness lingering no lingering see i view viscosity lactose. more as like th- a thickness uh, what well, i agree 110 but the difference between that and lactose is a lingering state it's like you're saying when i drink something that has too much lactose i'm thinking yeah. of uh, we went to an event where all the beers were milkshake I think it was Hudson Valley. Maybe they had a milkshake series. Someone had a milkshake series, and
1: everyone's doing them these days.
2: So I, to I keep track. It's smart <laughs> because again, you can start making these these IB these beers that are pushing like 70 plus IBUs. And yes. put a, a, a couple you know, pounds of lactose in it and all yeah. of a sudden you're just like, wait a second. Even someone who has a hypersensitive palate towards bitter can now stomach this. They also can drink this and not have to go to the bathroom and feel like they're going to puke because there's so much acidity in their stomach and burp and fart for the next four hours because they're trying to digest.
1: I don't do well with milk. I don't do well with lactose. But that's you're you're so, just like that's not. Me. That's
2: me. You're like that chick in college who's just like, I had tequila last night. Now I can't drink it anymore. No,
1: no, that's not true. Like I I eat ice cream. I drink milk. I just, my, my system doesn't handle lactose. But but don't
2: you think that makes you more sensitive to it to a point where, you know, you almost have like a red flag that goes up in your head where you're like, there's too much lactose here. I'm, I'm out. Yes. I'm out. So for someone like me who doesn't have that red flag and I taste it and I go, oh, man, this is coding. See, but I think you're the other
1: pole and the other extreme and nothing can be sweet enough for you.
2: Absolutely true. So That's why I drink again,
1: triples. So, but, then, <laughs> but then again, I think that your heavy handedness with the lactose is something to be watched.
2: No, but like I think as, as, these, as much as my aversion occurs, I yeah. think you're
1: you're over, over. But I think, I think it,
2: the didn't. beginning part of your point is that there's this happy medium and that's fine, but it's really understanding more so what is the purpose of the lactose in this beer? Is the purpose of this lactose in the beer to sweeten it? Is it to give it the mouthfeel? Is it both? Is it is it really just we want – I if I had to describe lactose to someone, you ever remember like Cheap Velvet – and it had that one really smooth texture when you went the one way. But when, when you went the other way, it was like fucking rough, sandpaper. Rough and like your hands skipped along it, yeah. So perfect lactose integration is licking that velvet <laughs> in the right way. Yeah. And the wrong way is like you fucked up. You yeah. did this wrong. It's either too bitter and it's like sandpaper or it's too much lactose to where I can't even, I, don't, I can't tell.
1: Okay, so we're moving on now. Uh, this next brew we have, Brew with Lactose, is from Sloop Brewing Company out of Elizaville, New York. It's called Muay Thai. Muay Thai. Muay Thai. Muay Thai. It's a sour ale blended with lactose, toasted coconut, and lemongrass. And just as the Hidden Springs was doing a play on a key lime pie, which is an actual physical dessert, this is a play on the classic cocktail, Muay Thai. So the way I conceptually was trying to understand this beer and trying to see why a brewer would make a decision to add lactose to this was my immediate reaction was to go and look up what a Mai Tai is and how a Mai Tai is built and what the classic cocktail is. So the classic cocktail is rum, orange curacao, fresh lime juice, and or get. And right. or is this thing that I experience a lot because I deal with a lot of beverage directors and people making cocktails and building cocktails and cocktail programs or is essentially this like almond syrup is like the easiest way to explain it. It actually is what they call a cooling drink, quote unquote, cooling drink made from orange flower water and then either barley or almonds. So that now makes sense to me. Milk (laughs) and lactose often when you think about it in life and in cooking and in eating is the cool, the base to the acid. Yeah, which is what you need to balance all that rum and that orange and that lime and all those highly acidic things, like how you like drinking the you know milk punches and, and the oh, thing yeah. that the things that introduce the oh, ba- the base yeah. elements to balance out the acid elements. Yeah. So in my opinion, in my eyes, I was like, okay, cool, that's what a mai tai is, and they were doing a plan a mai tai, and I think the reason why they thought about it an lactose here was to plug that hole of the orchid of the cooling stabilizing sweet balance to the to the acid
2: yeah so this again
1: conceptually that makes sense to me and and i can award them for using the ingredient in a in a sort of practical like sensical way
2: so these are actually two really interesting beers to put head to head next to each other because when you really think about it if i were to describe them both
1: this has minimal lactose in it to me.
2: Yeah, but the blurred lines has something to learn from this because the lactose in the sloop balances out better than it does. I,
1: so I agree. I agree. But I think that the 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 beers were shooting for different things.
2: Yeah, but either way, the blurred lines is just still a little too sour and acidic. S- right. And too the, unbalanced. The sloop I think. is is way more well balanced where I get the other things described. Where with the blurred lime, blur, blurred limes, they did that shit on purpose. <laughs> it's hard to say. Yeah, uh, s- ten times. Blur limes, blur lime, blur lime. Blurred limes, blurred lime, blurred limes
1: blurred, <laughs> limes, blurred limes, blurred limes, blurred limes, blurred limes, blurred limes, uh, <laughs> blurred limes, blurred limes. <laughs> blurred limes. Oh my god! I agree with you. I agree with everything that you're saying. However, I like the key lime pie better oh my as
2: a beer. God, why?
1: i don't know i i don't know what to tell you i i there are key uh like you like the sharpness there are key flavors i can pick out in this beer um namely the lemongrass i get a fuck ton of lemongrass yeah but i also get the vanilla like i get
2: all the other shit like what are you talking about there's no
1: vanilla in this it's a sour ale base with lactose toasted coconut it's the coconut it's the sorry
2: it's the (laughs) coconut it's the coconut it just smells so good. Like, I can smell the lactose too. I
1: do think this is a very well brewed beer. I just, it's more like, you know, your argument when a beer says it's. Supposed to taste like this, yeah. And you close your eyes. My that that key lime, bee, yeah. yeah, is to me. I can close my eyes, and to me, it satiates me as much as taking a forkful of a key lime pie. No, see that key, key lime, lime that. that
2: blue, that blurred limes makes me <laughs> feel like the pie where I use too many limes by accident. See,
1: but for me, that's not a thing. Yeah, that will never be a but thing. But your for me.
2: acidity, savory palate is way more uh, burnt I out. I love, than mine. I love acid. Yeah. Yes,
1: for as much as you love sweet, I love acid. I love acidity. I love lemons, acid. Yeah, I love So I'm feeling vinegar. like if we can both
2: sit here and agree that the sloop is better balanced. It is. Have, it is. It is much better balanced. So but, I would put my bet on that.
1: Okay, so I'm two. not arguing with you. <laughs> I, the point of us drinking these two beers was, I, in my opinion, these two beers are showcasing and illustrating and using lactose in an appropriate way. Okay, And a way that... Conceptually makes sense And merits using the lactose
2: Without shaming a versus brewery, Versus, versus say, just
1: taking an IPA Dumping a fuck ton of lactose in it And being like well let's see how this comes out And then we'll dump a bunch of fruit into it And we'll call it a fucking strawberry milkshake So
2: that's my <laughs> point So of a beer That's quote unquote Showcasing lactose What are the qualities Where you're like This is too much the lactose here is being abused, not uh, utilized. Uh, what what, are, what are the qualities It's not like being
1: abused versus... Uh, it's just using it with purpose. Using right. it purposefully. Right, but I, I'm, I'm like saying, like think when during I, that time again, when I was brewing so again, with lactose exclusively. When I, I want to like, drink a beer, I don't want to drink a beer that tastes like a strawberry milkshake. Sorry, I just will never want that. Okay, that's that's something I've never I will tasted a beer that want. tastes
2: like that. But go on, like you what, said, what the do you,
1: tired hens milkshake IPA, the strawberry vanilla milkshake IPA, tastes like a milkshake. Well, I, well here's what I, I was don't saying. Want that. It had strawberry I'm not, flavor. I don't, I'm not that person. I'm not that guy. It
2: tasted like strawberries. It was slightly tart. It had lactose in it, and it, it had the the viscosity of a milkshake. But it didn't. It didn't. I I'm trying to say like when is lactose when have you experienced lactose being overpowering and what were the qualities by which you recognized that it was too much
1: it was too clawing and coating on my palate
2: so it just hung out in your mouth yeah but like
1: it wasn't even the sweetness so much as bothered me it was the actual mouth feel that you get from
2: yeah lactose. that's what I'm saying there's not it's not the beer taste that got you it was the fact that you're like this is someone put a blanket over my tongue and yes. I want them to take the blanket off because I'm boiling under here yes. and it's just like not going away yes
1: And again, I like things that are dry, extra dry, ultra dry. I like very dry beer. I like drinking something, have it scraped off my palate and clean and ready for the next the next sip.
2: That's where you and I differ. And that's my the friend. Uh, exact that's opposite of differ. using lactose. <laughs>
1: yep. But that's why I'm saying there are beers out there like these two that we tried that are using lactose in a way and a, and a style and a recipe that makes sense to me.
2: So if you could conceptualize a way that lactose... If you could think of a way where lactose was really I love used. sweet stouts. I
1: love sweet stouts. I do not like dark beers. I love one lactose is used in darker beers. I love it. <laughs> I truthfully love it. That's like coffee. Milk with, chocolate with is my favorite chocolate. Female, oh yeah. Again, and it's just like that fatty, sweet, like velvetiness, that quality so of it. So if you I could I basically describe
2: your perfect <laughs> lactose beer, what would it be?
1: Uh, basically I riff on like a hot chocolate.
2: So like a... Something that tasted uh, like a hot chocolate. A cocoa nib. Yeah. Uh, yep. Milk i Love
1: cocoa nibs. I've never had a beer I drank with cocoa nibs. I did not like. Never. Okay. Yeah, cocoa nibs, some element, some marshmallow element, some element that's going to give what a little What the marsha- fuck is that? I don't know, probably just the lactose. I don't <laughs> yeah, fucking know, fucking but What uh, the fuck uh, is a
2: marshmallow yeah, element? Yeah, I don't know. You want me to put marshmallows on top of your beer and take out a fucking torch there, and there's, give there's you a, a, hot there's, a <laughs> there's a place
1: in New York called Serendipity, and it's a very commercial, yeah, it's cliche, that, yeah, yeah, I know you're Upper East Side Spot. But they do something that blew my fucking mind when I first heard of it, frozen hot chocolate. Like that's what I would make that? a beer. They make fucking hot chocolate and then fucking freeze it. It's cold, frozen hot on chocolate like, on
2: like crushed ice. Like yeah, like, oh. on like
1: flaky ice. It's so fucking good.
2: Uh, so like
1: when I close, I'm like, if I can make a hot chocolate taste cold and carbonate, like a beer, that would be fucking tits.
2: Uh, you lost me.
1: What would your be? Well, if you if I ended you lactose, this is like Top Chef or fucking like I don't know one of those fucking shows. That kitchen cutthroat, whatever the fuck. And I was like, lactose is in your basket. And you, but you can make anything with it. What beer would you design? It's based the one you lactose? made fun
2: of me for, and I still haven't figured it out. So if Butter, I, beer. Butter beer from Harry Potter.
1: Harry Potter.
2: So the way it's described in the book is that it's lingering enough that it makes you warm. So qualities that remind me of like rum or whiskey. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it's filling and it's sweet. Yes. So when I conceptualized that beer, it was a I think the first time I did did a cream ale, didn't you? It was a cream ale, but really I wanted like a honey brown cream. Honey brown.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure.
2: Because I wanted that nuttiness. Sure. I wanted like the thickness. I wanted and it, it never I want to say the worst parts of it were I added too much lactose the first time. And like you're saying, it just hung out too long. Yeah. But that was also the problem with it being a cream ale. Here's, it here's, can hang out a long my, time, but you need the hops to scrape your palate afterwards. And it, cream ale doesn't do that.
1: Here's my advice to you. I would, If I were you, and I, you actually did want to make this, I would look at cocktail recipes for hot buttered rum. Yeah, and see just like this, this mojito, toy. shit, how, yeah. yeah, How they how they interpreted it, making a cocktail into a beer, or the buttercream, whatever I, they put. I in would yeah, I yeah. would start there. You've had hot buttered rums, and you've like jizzed them. your pants over oh, yeah. it. Yeah, so if you could shout out to Homestead, uh, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> that was butter melting in that glass, right? It wasn't ice cream; it was butter.
2: It was like a buttercream.
1: That's nuts as fuck. See, but that's what so I'm saying. Good. So, so t- take that food image that food memory and try to manipulate that but that almost would be like if i
2: could whip up like lactose based whipped cream and just like put it on top of your hot beer which i don't even know how i would do that and just let it settle because that was the part of it there's certain elements we do a
1: segment on that it's getting holiday season i love beers they there are many beers out there there are many beers that are brewed packaged and designed for you to take it home and heat it up and add spices to it huh and I would love to I, yeah. do, do a segment on that at some point. As yeah, I've never even older. heard about that till right now. That's great. Let's ciders, I've been willing to do a segment on ciders as well. We're getting into cider season. Nah,
2: fuck that, fuck ciders. I'm so sick I'm of confident
1: people. I could find a cider for you that you would actually really enjoy. Bullshit. <laughs> I don't know. That's my. That's what I like to do. Bullshit.
2: <laughs> All right, we gotta end this episode. We've been going okay. on forever. this Um, was
1: great this was fantastic I really enjoyed this segment
3: what
2: are we I I can't even understand what we're going out oh I didn't I didn't finish
1: what one I picked
2: yeah no man in no man's land yeah
1: fuck I picked one and I didn't write down the one I picked it's in my phone which I don't have you want to pick one you want to pick a no man no man's land
3: no I hate that song no (laughs) man in no man's (laughs) land
1: or going out on it so you have to pick one and so the reason why uh, these three songs were picked for this sh- episode today is because it is a 1, 2, and 3.0 selection, uh-huh. which Jason, which the kid, you really, I feel like, have a very hard time doing. You pick three songs often from the same show or the same couple, <laughs> the same, like three or four apart. You don't really space it out that Listen, much. So I have I, ADHD. So I, so I, I can't no, even so think I, that So far. I wanted to give a nice <laughs> spectrum 1 2 and 3.0 um and if you listen to this podcast and if you are a fish fan yeah. you most likely listen to another podcast called under the scales with tom marshall and
2: that can't be true no man in no man's land is only from 3.0 and you already picked a 3.0 song no
1: crowd control is 2.0 and the wedge is 1.0 okay so uh the most recent episode of Under the Scales, these three songs were also picked, and Tom Marshall basically goes in and describes the lyrics and why they were written and his interpretation and <laughs> what people think so you, of the song.
2: So you ripped Under the Scales and now we're doing it?
1: I picked the same three <laughs> we're songs. We're being
2: South Park to The Simpsons. I, Simpsons did it. I picked the same it. three songs. Simpsons did it. And
1: if you're interested in knowing wha- how, what these lyrics are about, I suggest going and listen to Under the Scales. Oh
2: my God. Okay. It's great.
1: Did you pick a no man in no a men's Yeah. Sweet. It's Thank you for listening <sighs> to this episode of God's Brew. I
2: hate that I know that fact now. <laughs> this is uh, August 30th, 2019 from Dick's Sporting Goods. Yeah. The Dicks. The Dick's Sporting Goods. I'm the Lizza. And I'm the kid. We'll see you next time.